Well, it's graduation season and young people are excited to get out there and start college or their careers. It makes me curious about my fellow crewmates' higher education experiences. So join us as we share stories about our college journeys. Welcome to Counter Stories, a podcast by people of color, for people of color, and everyone else. I'm Holly Lee, owner of the Other Media Group. My name is Luz Maria Frias, Deputy Attorney General with the state of Minnesota. Any comments and viewpoints that I share are strictly my own and should not be attributed to my employer. Don Eubanks, Dendros Associate and Cultural Consultant. Anthony Galloway, Senior Partner at Dendros Group and Executive Director of the Arts Us Center for the African Diaspora. In another session of Getting to Know Us, I'm wondering about how we got to college why we went, where we went. I know Don's daughter is home from college and Don just retired from his job in higher ed. So why don't you start us off? You know, I started, I guess my career really started when uh, in my freshman year at McAllister College, I got hired to work as a youth counselor at a group home called Homeway Incorporated. And, and the group home was uh, created to work with uh, delinquent youth but that kind of started me on a path of uh, working in kind of human services, social service uh, positions. And I did that. I did that for about three, four years while I was attending McAllister. I'm sorry, Don. Was your major social work at that point? No. I mean, you were helping people. <laughs> OK. Yes. All right. Because I think that's but also really interesting. What was motivating me in, in school was um, I, I so I guess I was a product of the civil rights movement and everything that I saw, you know, AIM had had uh, was formed when I was in junior high school, high school over in North Minneapolis. I was kind of evolving into this consciousness of who who I was in terms of my identity, being black and Indian, and, and AIM so, being American Indian movement. Yes, the American Indian movement on yep. top of the civil rights movement. Yep. So so these things were kind of shaping and forming me, who I am as a black Indian in North Minneapolis. And so when I got to McAllister, my, my ambition at that time was to uh, go to law school. And because I knew that I wanted to, the idea I had in my mind at that time is that I was going to be involved around civil rights issues, whatever that was. And most of the folks that I saw that seemed to have a, a great impact were folks that had law degrees or law, uh, law backgrounds. So in high school, I had the opportunity to go on a closer program. That was, uh, it was a program that sent high school students to Washington, D.C., and so there were about 30 of us from the state of Minnesota, Twin Cities, smaller communities around Minnesota. And we, we spent a week in Washington, D.C. in 1972. We met our congressional uh, members. I was able to ask a lot of these politicians um, what their majors were. And many of them had law degrees. And when I asked what they majored in in college, uh, at that time, a lot of folks were doing like political science. But I think eight out of the 10 politicians that I talked to, 
said that they had all majored in history. And, and when I asked them why history, um, they said, because law is kind of based on history or historical information in history, they thought put them in the right frame of mind or the, 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 uh, the, the correct kind of discipline for them to succeed in law school. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know, but it did have an impact on me. So when I was at McAllister, um, I was a history major and with the, the idea of going to law school. Um, so that didn't actually mesh up with, I think, kind of, and the jobs that I was doing at that time as a youth counselor, I think I worked for a while with the Wilder Foundation in a similar type position. But I ended up working in kind of human service, social service um, positions. I, I, when I left Wilder, I ended up at Ramsey Action Programs. Um, I attended training for a, at a place here called the Center for Urban and Region or the Center for Urban Encounter. Um, and I took community organizing training and they used the uh, Saul Alinsky approach. And Saul Alinsky was a kind of a power, power-based community organizer from the 50s. Um, pretty influential in, in the labor movement and, and other types of movements. And they actually taught his approach in organizing at that time. I don't know if they still do, but many people still do. Yep. With, with Saul Alinsky. And um, I think after about, about three years at McAllister, um, I, I was, I wasn't a disciplined young man. And what I mean by that is I thoroughly enjoyed um, going to class. I thoroughly enjoyed reading um, but I didn't always follow through with the assignments. So, you know what I mean? I, I love debating. I think a, lot, the, a lot of our audience members probably can relate to that <laughs> of their own experiences. Yeah. So Don, how did you, how did you choose McAllister to begin with as a, as a boy from the North side? When I was in school during the fifties and sixties, every year we would take these tests that would gauge our reading, writing, math, that kind of stuff. I always kind of tested in the top ninety-five percentile. Um, when I when I think back, I was always kind of a kind of nerdy, I guess. I for some reason I always felt that I needed to finish first, mm-hmm. you know get my homework done or get the work done first and not only get it done first, but get it done first with the least amount wrong. I can't, you know, I don't even remember how I got to McAllister, to be honest with you. I, part of it was that I was being recruited to play football. Mm. Um, St. St. Thomas offered me a a scholarship, uh, but it was only, they couldn't offer a football scholarship so they could offer me a, part of the scholarship to cover tuition, whereas McAllister had this equal opportunity um, grants at that time, EEO program, it was called. It was, remember, this was during the early 70s, so there was a lot of recruitment of uh, minority students um, through this EEO program, and uh, they were able to offer me a scholarship that covered tuition in room and board. And so my my uh, test scores were high enough. Notice I said test scores because my 
my grade point average wasn't that great. Um, when I got to high school, I, I is when that pattern started to kick in where I would attend class periodically um, and not always turn in work, but then I would test well. So I was kind of these stu- one of these students that would go to class once or twice a week and then test take the exam and do well. Oh, God, I was but, the opposite. And, and, uh, <laughs> so I think that's how I ended up at Mac because I, I tested well. I'm always interested uh, to find out how people got to the college or the university that, that they got to because I had a really bizarre story, too. So, Luz, where, now where did you go for your undergrad? So my undergrad was University of Illinois in Chicago, and it almost did not happen because much like uh, Don's story, I was academically very strong in grade school and high school. I I actually uh, only went three years in high school. I, I skipped my junior year. So I graduated when high school when I was 16, and both of my brothers at that point, my older brothers had not yet gone to college. So I would have been the first one. So my algebra teacher in high school says, ask me as a senior, what college are you going to? And I looked at her and I'm like, I'm I'm not going to college. And she said, why not? And I said, well, I don't know anyone who's gone to college and my parents won't give me permission to go to college. Now, keep in mind, that a traditional Mexican family is just um, very provincial when it speaks to the role of a woman. And at that point, and, and I still hear it from young Latinas today, it is about protecting you from all of these ills of society. And my parents were convinced that the US system is just filled with promiscuity, even back then, uh, that they didn't, my dad didn't give me permission to go to college, you know, because uh, he thought, you know, there's too many boys there. I was in a all girls high school and that I would just get pregnant, you know, mm-hmm. um, which was very offensive to me. Right. So my my algebra teacher says, no, you're too smart not to go to college. And I said, well, I don't even know how to apply. I don't know where to go. That kind of thing. I I don't have any money. My parents don't have money. So she actually took me under her wing and she said, you know, I will fill out the paperwork with you and we'll figure this out. And her name is Ms. Ganerka. So Ms. Ganerka fills it all out. And uh, we picked a school that I could get to on the bus line. And that was it. So that's how I ended up going to college. I can tell you that when my accept, so I only applied to one college because of that one university. And when I, I received a letter informing me that I was admitted, uh, I was excited and I showed it to my parents and my dad was really upset because keep in mind, we applied without their knowledge or consent mm. wow. and he just lost it. And he said, you know, I, and I'm only 16, right? Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, so long story short, he says, look, this is your problem. You're going to figure out how to pay for it. You're going to figure out how to get there. I'm not going to support you. And by the way, you need to get a job. And you need to financially contribute to the household. And you need to do all your chores. Mm-hmm. And then if you have time left, then you do your homework. So 
I did all of that. You know, I ended up finding a job at a bank as a teller and I would structure my classes in college from 8 a.m. to noon, take the bus to my job, work until the closing of the bank, come home, do all my chores, clean the house, and then do um, my homework afterwards. Uh, And I graduated in less than four years um, there. What was your undergrad major? I started with an engineering degree. And I was two years into my engineering studies, but it was, as you could probably imagine, largely all men. Um, I was consistently the only woman or one of two women. This is back in the day when we didn't have (laughs) uh, computers, everyone. Actually, I, I, as an engineering major, I was studying how to program computers at that point. And uh, they were posting the grades on your, the door of the, classroom or the lab room or lecture room and you would just check it by your student id so they had posted the midterm grades which meant you're either going to step in the lecture room because you passed or you didn't come in because you did not pass as an engineering student there's a lot of folks who would fail so i saw my grade got in sat down And there was only one other woman who had been in that class at that level at that time. So I'm looking around the classroom or the lecture room and she's nowhere to be found. A guy comes and sits next to me. I'd never talked to him or seen him. You know, it was a class of about 150, 200 students. And he sits next to me, leans over, like right into my face. And he says, grades are up. Now, I don't know him. I never talked to him, right? Don't even know his name. He says, grades are up. And I looked at him. Yeah. He says, what are you still doing here? Because <laughs> by then Sir, he saw wow. that oh the other God. woman wasn't. So I leaned over and I said, the same bleeping thing you're still doing here. <laughs> <laughs> um, because, you know, I'd been raised in inner city of Chicago and I had a little bit of, you know, street <laughs> smart. And he looked at me shocked, you know, that I said that. Uh, and I, I used uh, an expletive of choice at that point. <laughs> and uh, he looked at me just in disbelief that I responded the way I did. And I leaned back over to him. I said, you got any more questions? <laughs> he got up and walked away <laughs> and went back to his seat, wherever he was sitting. Ooh, I don't know. Go and, lose. Dang. Um, so I, I proceeded to finish uh, you know, the semester. And I just thought, you know, if it's that cutthroat now as a student, it's going to be worse uh, in the workplace. So then I started thinking about what would a different major be. And I thought about law because in grade school and high school, my teachers kept telling me that I was strong with my analytical skills and my writing and both of those are actually really strong attributes necessary for being an attorney so then I went and and spoke to an academic advisor and they agreed with me and I switched uh, my major at that point to pre-law and I asked that because you know um but we want to hear about you Haley yeah yeah um, in high school, there was a, a pr- program called MEP, Multicultural Education Program, and it um, gave scholarships to um, students of color to um, state schools. 
And all my siblings had been in it. And when I was my turn to do it, and I'm the fifth of eight children, and um, there was like an orientation for the freshman class, and it was after school hours, so my parents had to drive me back to school. And we lived and grew up on the west side, St. Paul, but I went to Highland Park because I didn't want to go to Humboldt where all my sisters had gone and I was going to be the next Lee sister. <laughs> so I decided I was going to do something different. Um, and I went to Highland. And so, you know, it was my parents had to be driving me back and forth for master school activities and stuff. And it didn't always work out. Work out. Um, so my sister says to me, and I, and, I tell, and I still hold this against her to this day. Um, she says to me, oh, the orientation is nothing. You don't really have to go. I said, okay, I didn't go. Well, I, well, the program was so packed that year that if you didn't go to orientation, you weren't in the program. Oh, no. So from beginning of freshman year all the way to the senior year, I was so worried that I wouldn't be able to go to college because my parents couldn't afford to send me. And so I worked my butt off and I got every scholarship that I could possibly get. I did all the IB courses. I did all the you know student council. I did all of that so that I could go to college. And, and after this, I want to also talk to you guys about why you chose to go to college. But first, the story. So I started getting into journalism. I was doing some journalism summer programs, the Urban Journalism Workshop um, that was taking place at St. Thomas, now called the uh, journalism 360. And each year they give away one scholarship. So then I started banking. I'm going to get that scholarship. That's what I'm going to do. Well, I didn't get the scholarship. I was uh, the runner up to another person who had applied. And so I decided I was going to go to the U of M and I was just going to have to deal with it. I was going to work. I was going to pay my way through it. And I was really in a big panic mode. And a few months before school was supposed to start, I got a call that said the other student was no longer able to accept the award. And I changed and decided to go to St. Thomas to study journalism um, wow. because of the scholarship. Wow. So the only <laughs> so it's interesting that like with me and Don, it was like, well, I basically went there because they offered me the most. Right. I couldn't afford to go to college otherwise. And I didn't mind that I was the diversity student. <laughs> Around what time period was that, Hilly? I graduated high school in 2003. Oh, shit, you're a babe in the woods. <laughs> so, <laughs> my God, 2003. So, you know, that's fantastic. So it's funny. Um, I, I was in the MEP program. Um, and uh, that's how I went round up at the University of Minnesota to start. Um, and I went through the orientation in, in high school. I was the kid who was involved in a whole lot of different things. Um, my, 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 my high school, um, life had a lot of transition. My mom had moved out of, out of town. I was, um, I had ended up in between houses at some point. Um, and so in addition to just growing up, you know, we, we didn't have nothing. I mean, <laughs> so college wasn't, um, wasn't a thought except for people in community kept, referencing and referring to it. And then the ME, the MEP orientations um, basically said, look, you know, get through school, do this, keep your grades at this point. And, and there's a scholarship waiting for you that allow you to go to school. And so, um, so I went to the orientations. I went to anything that, that would let me kind of feel free in class. Cause I didn't, 
I, I was almost transient a little bit. Um, and so, you know, many folks didn't know that was going on in my background. So I'd stayed pretty popular in, in, in school. I stayed involved in so many different things and with so many different groups that I started to pick up these skills to be able to not just navigate between and, and amongst groups, but to build relationships because I had to, to eat, I had to, to, to keep moving and not kind of think about the world as it was. So I ended up with the like, my extracurricular list was was booming. Um, and then like Don, I, I could sit through and because and, most of our tests are geared towards just memorization and regurgitation. And so um, I could think <laughs> and I could hold things in my brain. I, um, it was involved in arts things that, that, that trained my brain to be able to remember um, scripts and things like that. So I could just remember and regurgitate as long as I took the test within a certain window. So I was a really, really good test taker. Um, even as my grades suffered kind of towards the end of, of, um, but I got there, I got, I kept my, my, my 3.0. Um, I think that was the, yeah, the 3.0. And so, um, um, I was able to get into the, to the U, um, and I started in anthropology, but like, just like high school, I was a lot less focused on the coursework and a lot more focused on like the social enterprise, um, in college, all the extracurricular things. I was part of this, uh, dope poetry collective called Voices Merging. I was actually one of the, um, the early founders of that group. And so there are all these things that I got to be involved in and build, you know, connection on campus in my classes, you know, I, I, I did them and I did, our, did, 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 did good. Um, but I got to a point where anthropology wasn't answering the questions I needed it to. Um, and I switched, I, I left the university of Minnesota and I left the MEP scholarship, um, to go to, um, um, to go work because I needed to work. I needed to, to, to kind of figure things out. So I didn't actually end up going back to finish uh, college until I had started working as an educational assistant and then um, a program program lead um, in, in the West Metro for, the, for an integration consortium. Um, and then went back to school at Metro State in ethnic studies, where that's where I found my home. It's, that's, that's what I wanted to, to do and learn. And so I ended up finishing at Metro State already into my prof professional career. So my college journey ended up starting out of high school, but I actually then went to go work and then came back to finish um, in my professional career. And I graduated from Metro State University with a degree in ethnic studies. You know, my dad, my dad made it through ninth grade and then got his dad to sign him in the Navy. My mother graduated from high school, um, but it was in the boarding school system. So she had been sent to uh, first Pipestone and then later Flandreau, South Dakota, um, to attend uh, boarding school. But she graduated what would have been, you know, high school and then uh, relocated to Minneapolis because um, there are no jobs on a reservation. So when I think about the motivation to go to college, Hilly, it, it um, I, I it it, <laughs> I don't remember really being pushed by my parents, but I wasn't held back by them either. You know what I mean? So because there was no one in my family that had gone to college, but it was something that I think I heard from counselors and others in schools that mm. that there were people there were at this time it, it kind of converged with segregation with civil rights with all that and then 
And then because these black educators begin to show up in my life, Earl Brown, for instance, uh, was uh, an assistant principal at Lincoln. And then um, later he was my dean of students at McAllister. There was uh, Bill McMore, who was an assistant principal at at, uh, Central. And there were others uh, who kind of rode me, (laughs) I guess is the... (laughs) the better word, they, they kind of were on me that kind of kept me pointed in that direction, mm-hmm. you if know, that, that makes sense. That point that you make, Don, about not having your parents, you know, they didn't go to college. I think that's really important. I, I reflect on that with my parents. In Mexico, uh, grade school is through sixth grade, not eighth grade. So that's as far as my dad got and he didn't go to high school. My mother got through high school in Mexico. And at that point, you could do take a trade uh, at the same time. And so she took typing and stenography. So learning how mm-hmm. to do shorthand. So like you, I, I would have, I was the first person in my family to go to college and my friends as well. None of my friends had gone to college. And in my neighborhood, so I grew up in the barrio in Chicago. And so the success measure there was not getting pregnant as a teenager mm. in my community as a woman, as a girl, or not joining a gang or mm. not being killed by a gang member. I mean, that was success. That's how you define success in the barrio in Chicago, where I grew up. So it's really interesting to hear, you know, our commonalities. Holly, yeah. you're... I mean, I was completely I'm, different. I'm impressed that you had all these siblings, you know, that, that were in college and, and gave yeah. you that it, motivation. It, it never occurred to us to not go to college. Wow. My parents... Holly, what, gener- <laughs> what generation are you here? So all my siblings were born here. Uh, my parents came here in 1980 from Laos. My dad um, was um, educated, uh, which was very rare. My grandparents spent everything they had to send him to school. Oftentimes he couldn't live at home because he didn't live close enough to the school that was close to their village. Um, so he could read and write and he knew he, he knew English. My mother was not educated. Girls just weren't. In yep. the old country. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when my parents came to the U.S., my dad got his associates from St. Paul College. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. I mean, I think I was probably like seven or eight when he did. Um, it just never occurred to me to not go to college. It was always when you're done here, you're going to college, you're going to college, you're going to college. So after I started my business, I, was, I do a lot of work with Hmong youth. And some of the kids were like, wait, you went to college right away? And it was very surprising to them. And it it was surprising to me that not all of our parents were forcing us to go to college. It just, it was never an option to not go to college for me. Wow. That is Mm. so awesome. So awesome. I think it's interesting that, um, you know, I think we all share that our parents didn't go to college. My parents didn't go to college either. Um, And so I was a first, um, at least in terms of my mom and dad, I think my, my grandmother did do college or did some college. Um, but I just find it interesting that that is a shared thing. And we all, uh, <laughs> kind of had this, this self-start ambition that kind of kept us through, you know, I'm, I, I, I dropped out of college, um, for a while to go work. And 
even though I had great college experiences, I, I, I joined fraternity uh, life uh, and Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated. I, I was involved on campus quite a bit. You know, folks on campus knew who I was. I, I got amazing experiences on campus at the University of Minnesota, um, but it took me going and working and finding professional life to find my calling and then go back to college and apply what my calling was. I think that's, a, that's an important piece uh, for me. I made the choice to go to college, to go through that process because of what everybody said. You have to do it in order to get the job that you want. Um, and so, and and quite frankly, I had no other plans. You know, I wanted to be a whole lot of different things, but I hadn't settled on a direction. Um, and I, that was challenging throughout my college career is not quite knowing. And so I actually see some comparison and, and correlation, what you said, Don, um, in that, it was the experiences that I needed to have in order to kind of crystallize what I wanted to go for. Um, and so that trajectory kind of meandered um, around. I think I was married and uh, married with children before I finished college. Um, now, interestingly enough, finishing college was extremely difficult. My daughter was born, born in the NICU, um, and it was in, and I was in school, I was finishing up. I was in my senior, my last few classes at Metro State when everything hit at the same time. My daughter was born premature. Um, my wife ended up having to go back to work and not use her maternity leave until after my daughter came home. So I was in the hospital in the NICU um, so that she could work. Uh, and, and it was just turmoil. I was taking care of my wife on bed rest and then eventually my, my um, child in the NICU while in school, while working full time. Um, uh, but, but at least I was working in the arenas for which school was supporting. Um, I was in equity, um, equity programming, um, and, and student learning programming and stuff like that. And so the interests converged and that actually allowed me to make it through school because I was going to school for the thing that I was doing. I was doing in work, the thing that I was going to school for. Um, and so that actually made it uh, easy with hard work. And I, you know, there was very little sleep, but it got it done. In college, uh, I like, I didn't socialize. Right. Cause like St. Thomas was so white. It still is, it's getting, <laughs> you know, um, but it was so white. And so they had these programs for urban kids to get into the program or to get into the school. So, and I said, we had one group that was for the Hispanic Americans African-Americans, Native Americans, and African-Americans. And we all fit in one conference room. That was the club, right? And wow. so <laughs> that's how it was. With chairs left to spare, probably. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we would just order from Chipotle and we'd get into one conference room in the library. And that was wow. that was a hangout. So I didn't really hang out um, on campus. I didn't really have friends. I went to class and then I went directly to work. And then I went directly to my other work. Um, cause I was still, I was still having to contribute at home. Yeah. Did you and live at home or did you stay on campus? I had, I lived at home. The scholarship I got, um, didn't include books or housing. So those oh, things, we, two, okay. and those things I had to pay for myself. And so I worked two jobs, one in TV, um, which is how I got the job right after I graduated. Because when I graduated in 2007, there was not a lot of you know, th that was just when folks are starting to talk about the dying newspapers, right? There wasn't a lot mm. of jobs. And so having worked all through college, I landed a job. So I knew when I was wow. graduating that I had a full-time job 
that I was going to be able to turn to. Yes, it was also another job where they were trying to make opportunities for people of color, but I took it. I took that white, white guilt, as we call it. Hey. And I said, I'm, t- I'm taking it and I'm going to I'm going to get to where I need to get to. Well, and that's that's the smart way to do it. Right. Is is you see what impact it could have on your life and your career and use it as a stepping stone to get to the right place. But, you know, this this expectation that you have to get a job and contribute to the family household income is one that we see often in immigrant communities, right? Mm -hmm. It ends up being something that is an expectation um, because, you know, too often we are living in low income households and it's a struggle otherwise. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, like you said, I still had the responsibilities at home. Um, My older siblings had for the most part moved out at that point. So I was the eldest in the home um, and I lived with, uh, so all my older siblings are are girls, sisters, all, and then my younger siblings are two boys. And the boys were so coveted, they don't really do house chores. And then my sister was, my other sister was really young still. Like you said, Luz, being the girl, doing the dishes and helping with the cooking and still having Ironing. to do all that Ironing. stuff. I had to iron my dad's boxer shorts to this day. <laughs> Everything has to be, if I iron something, it's got to look a certain way. It looks like it came out of the dry cleaners. It's got the crease and it's just, that's right. That's how we were raised for sure. Well, I mean, I was just going to jump in and just share that I feel so fortunate that at the time, you know, what afforded me to be able to attend McAllister was that scholarship. Because the amount of the amount of that scholarship, I remember, was 3600 and that covered tuition, room and uh, tuition, wow. uh, and boarding and books. My parents' income for that year, nineteen seventy-two, was three thousand three hundred dollars. Was my parents' income because they had to fill out that mm-hmm. financial statement? I have learned so much about you guys. There's so much more to dig into this. Our experiences before college and after college and everything else. We'll be sure to continue this conversation in future episodes. You've been listening to Counter Stories. This is Halili, owner of the Other Media Group. Don Eubanks, Dendros Associate and Cultural Consultant. And I'm Luz Maria Frias, Deputy Attorney General with the state of Minnesota. Any comments and opinion that I've shared today and in any segment should not be attributed to my employer because they are solely my own. Anthony Galloway, senior partner at Dendros Group and executive director of the Arts Us Center for the African Diaspora. Thanks for joining us. This program is a co-production of the Counter Stories crew, the other media group, and Ampers, diverse radio from Minnesota's communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.